I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Autocar Podcast, My Week in Cars, with me, Matt Pryor, and him, Steve Properly. Hello, Stephen. Hello, mate. How are you? Yeah, very well. Thank you, mate. Yeah, uh, better this week because we don't have columns to talk about, but we do have a special guest in the form of Chris Harris, formerly of the Autocar Parish, now of television fame. Hello, Christopher. Hello. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you for joining us, mate, today. <laughs> yeah, it's frosty, but yeah. I'm glad to be here, and I'm happy to sit here and talk about my alma mater, the first place I worked at, and as I told you, always... Someone very, very fond of. Yeah. Well, we'll, over the next hour or so, talk a bit of autocar, a bit of new stuff, a bit of Top Gear, a bit of and just cars and stuff. So, Stephen, go on, you're, you lead. Well, I've, I've just got, as you know, one hell of a lot of time for Christopher. He, um, he uh, first darkened the door at autocar out of nowhere. I think you, uh, you, Chris, you, you uh, I honestly think you invented the sentence which is most likely to get anybody in our job a, a, a birth. You know, I, I'm not sure if I've told you this, but when you were pretty new to the job, you had this habit of arriving early and you stood in front of my desk or someone else's one time and you said, anyone got a job they don't want to do? And I always thought that that was the, 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 the single thing that you could say would be most likely to land a job. What do you reckon? Because the irony is that, that probably... Six months later, I got my first warning letter of being told I was going to get fired. So um, one comes with the other, I would have thought. <laughs> uh, look, I, I, I loved it. And I think um, I was an itinerant youngster. I didn't do anything. I, I never passed really any exams. I just drank and didn't do much. But I, when I got to Watercar, I suddenly wanted to do something. I, I had a um, had an obsession with cars. But pre-internet, you have to understand there was no way of really communicating with anyone other than yourself about cars. I had this internalised relationship with cars. I read you, Gavin Green, Bulgin, Goodwin, all that lot, the Frankels, the Sutcliffs. My my way of living through cars was car magazines. It was you guys. You were like my virtual friends, but I'd never met you. It's bloody weird. It's a bit like the stuff I get now in the street when people come up to you and want to talk to you, and they, it's like they, they think they know you. Of course you don't know me, but they, what they've seen on television makes them think they do. Yeah. I felt the same way about you guys. Yeah, yeah. So suddenly to get there, I wanted to work. I never wanted to work before in my life. I had a privileged upbringing. I was lazy, but I suddenly thought, this is amazing. Patrick Fuller, the editor then, used to tell me to go home. He used to say, go home. And I'd go, I remember this. I don't want to go home. This is the best thing I've ever done. I, I just adored it. I was yeah, suddenly yeah. surrounded by people that I could share my passion with, that wanted to talk to me. I had a, I had a series of social groups who wouldn't want to talk to me because I, I rattled on about cars. They had no interest in cars. No, no, no. So, so it, was, it was a bit of a... An awakening for me. I loved but it. As well as the cars, you the thing I we all know about you is that you loved you discovered anyway that you loved to turn a phrase because you were, I would say, the best column writer Autocar ever had. No. Well did you, yeah. did but, you, but, Well don't fight me on it. No, what what I mean was, did you how did this happen? Did you did you come I, out of school loving Yeah I did. Writing? I used to I used to, I, I love reading. Reading's the most important thing I think to learn to write. So I was, I was a bookworm. I used to read a lot, a lot more than people realised. 
Um, and I and I did like writing, but I wrote in a very stiff, formal, A-level English way. You know, it wasn't. And I remember Goodwin saying to me once, "Write how you talk," which is a, which is a great lesson for any young writer. He said, "Write write the voice that's in your head. Don't write what you think you should write." Uh, he wouldn't have expressed it as lucidly as that because he's Goodwin, but right. that's but that's what he said. Uh, that's what he meant. Yeah. And then I I also realised that. Um, that I was in competition, you know, that I, I won't go into names, but Patrick Fuller took on a bloke at the same time as me and um, and he was a better writer than me. And I realised that to, to be, life is competition. I then had my target, I got to beat this bloke. I can't beat him by learning how to drive quicker. I didn't think I could anyway, but I could beat him by trying to learn to write better. And I think that, that was it. He, so I was set into competition and that then made me understand that I could have a voice. And this is the other thing. I wanted to have a voice. I felt that autocar was, because I was young and stupid, I thought autocar was a bit stuffy. I thought it was. I thought that the tone could maybe be shifted a bit. I thought maybe I could represent that. And I, and you know. Oh, you did? Yes, you did. but a lot of people, I think a lot of people that have done anything realise that so many of those moments were just luck. I was I was lucky that, that certain breaks happened. I was lucky when certain people left the organisation. I was lucky when someone gave me a column. But yeah, I, I love writing. I really do love writing. And I think that's one of the great shames of of the way that the the business has progressed into the influencer sphere. And we can talk about that and Instagram and other stuff. The the value of words has been lost a bit. Yeah. And I, I, I think it's a great shame because I still believe, I still believe I work with the very best people in television in my medium. And, and sometimes they can do extraordinary things with cameras and with brilliant scripts and yeah. with, but nothing beats if I want to be entertained or if I want to really feel connected to a vehicle I go back and I read Car Magazine from the 80s I read yeah. you and Gavin and I read Russell Bulgin and it, for me it still paints a picture that I can't it, maybe it's a generational thing maybe it's the reason why people still love radio more than television I don't know but for me a great set of stills and a, and a brilliantly conceived set of words are the most powerful way you could describe a car, which is so strange because yeah. it's it's an inanimate description of an animate object. How on earth is that possible? But it is. It is. I think the what what was great about Autocar was was the turnover of product, mm. and it was it was if you were in uh, and you would have felt this as well, Matt. When when you're a bit of a younger foot soldier there, it Autocar isn't as glamorous. When I wasn't, it wasn't as glamorous as Car Magazine. You didn't have the budget. You didn't have the crazy. You know, you couldn't have fourteen page. You know navel gazing fest on one car you didn't have that and and the photographers were a bit more sniffy about you and Ebo had the sexier long termers and all the other stuff went on but quietly I knew that I was getting four times four times the product there were cars that came through every day and I was hungry to know so I'd drive every single car and I'd drive the car in two ways and I'm sure you do it now I'd drive it around town and then I'd find my moment late at night I'd go out driving late at night in all these cars and I'd have it on the door handle somewhere. Well, I wouldn't talk about it, but I wanted to understand how it worked. And then you need, you you really need some people that are going to inspire you. I had Steve, obviously, I had Goodwin, but Sutcliffe was the bloke for me. Yeah, you know, I suddenly found this this dude that I just was. He, I wanted to be him. Of course, I did. Tell us about. I mean, along with being Sutcliffe, Sutcliffe could very definitely turn a phrase, but he, but he, he could also drive the balls off a car, couldn't he? I mean, presumably. You didn't arrive with no skill, but you must have enhanced it while... Well, he, he, he spotted the fact that I could probably drive a bit and I wasn't that... He, he could maybe chamfer the edges off me and make me something. And in those days, you had Chobham. And so what we'd do is, we every time we went to Chobham, he'd, he'd, if there was something in the car park that was rear-wheel drive and it was a bit damp, he'd go, bring that. And then I'd get my... It was like free swim at school, you know, a swim, you've done all your legs, and at the end they go, right, you can moon the teacher and have a free swim. It was like that. He'd let me have 20 minutes on the corner, 10 minutes on the steering pad, and just, a lot of it just let me do it myself, but then he'd sit in with me, give me pointers, you know? It was, without that, I probably wouldn't have learned so quickly, mm. but that was instrumental. But but alongside that, you know, there was, I just, I liked the work ethic. I found people I could work with because there was a time to be stupid. There was time to have a beer. But as long as you were up at 6.37 to work hard the next day and you didn't mind working until 10 at night, it was all good. And I and that's where Robbo comes in, Peter Robinson, who's, present company accepted, arguably my favourite of all of them because he really was. Uh, he is the world's greatest motoring journalist. There will never be a better one because his, because of this ethic. Yeah. And I, and I, and this is not necessarily around how hard you worked, 
but the, but the fact that he could present himself to leaders of an industry in a way that they found so unhospitable and also unpleasant, but they still loved him and they invited him back, yeah. is a trick that no one else can manage. And I, to watch him finger jabbing Montezemolo in the chest, getting banned and then being let back in, just shows you that they were scared of his opinion, but they needed it. Yeah, you know, and I think yeah. that was so powerful. Yeah, I love working with Robbo. The idea of waking up on a Monday morning and always knowing that I'd be near Brescia at some point that week, hacking something around with him and Steve and Goodwin, whoever else it was, they were they were the happiest days of my working life. I absolutely adored them. He he really was another one of those. So I was surrounded by these people, and also I you know I had a bit go on. I lost my father, I think, when I was there. I was quite young, you know. I was, and I was it, a few things went wrong. But there's, there was, I just felt like I had this family. I had this family. And it was an incredibly short period of time in my life. Like I've been a Top Gear presenter for nearly twice as long as I worked at, at, at Oscar. It's amazing that, isn't it? I, I, I find that... I was only, yeah, there, I four, I was only there four years, but I loved it. it just, I made it my home. And I, but also, I am a, I'm a bad smell in the room. I know that. You know, I, can't, I can't be small. I, I'm, I'm a small person. But if I get somewhere and I make a nest... That's my home. Yeah. And no one else is going to play with that. I'm territorial. I'll fight people. Steve, you know that. I'm not afraid to get into a fight with anyone. Sometimes that's worked for me, but sometimes it's really not worked for me. I look back, I've lost I've, I've lost a lot of friends and battles that way. Don't regret any of it. It's all part of the journey. Yeah. But but Autocar was just this thing. It was the centre of my universe. Yeah. I didn't care about anything else. I didn't care. I, I can remember being found out by Patrick that I was living in the office <laughs> for, three, for three weeks. <laughs> Really? Yeah, I got oh, turfed. I, I got one. turfed out of my flat, and I went. And Goobin said I could live with him for a bit, but he was he was building that bloody V8 for his El Camino, so I couldn't get into the living oh, room. With a camshaft in his undies drawer. Well, the that. bloody block was in his living room, so I couldn't get into the bed. <laughs> so I had to lie. So I borrowed an E39 Estate from BMW and put my st what stuff I had in how much stuff. So I used to sleep in that. But when it got cold, I'd nip into the office on uh, Waldegrave Road. Who was the lovely old woman that worked on the desk? I wasn't there. I was before my time. Oh, she was lovely. What was her name? Um, anyhow, and I and I used to she let me sneak in. I used to sleep under the desk, but I left a couple of traces, and Patrick found out. Um, and uh, but I, I just it was everything. Yeah, yeah. What made you leave then? Um, I think I was already frustrated because I just thought I was at that point in my life, probably twenty. What was I? Twenty five. Something yeah, like that. Yeah. And I thought I knew it all. Mm. And I looked at the establishment. But you do like progress, don't you? I mean, that's I do, I do. But I, I just, I think I was, I'm, I was, I'd moved up quite quickly because because I'd been given so many opportunities by people leaving. You know, as so people move on and suddenly like, oh shit, there's a job, I'll do that. And I think I was frustrated. I thought that the the money ceiling of being of being staff was the a problem. Money was always a problem. Yeah, it? but 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 I think it was a the, the ceiling was the problem for me because I could see commercially how I understood how much money a product like Autocar could make back then. It made a few quid. So the fact that we were rattling around on twenty grand or something made me think it's ridiculous. I started on twelve thousand pounds. I mean that's that's in ninety eight. My other mates were starting on thirty grand or something. I couldn't yeah. live. And uh, shameful. I know, but I so I was frustrated by that. I also felt that. I think I'd probably done my best work at Autocar. And I, I'm not afraid to say to myself, time to move on. Even if I was comfortable somewhere, sometimes you've got to just drag yourself away and have a go. So I think that's what I did. I wanted to go freelance. I wanted to leave London. So yeah, I decided to give it a go. And of course, the, this is the thing that everyone that runs a magazine or an editor of a magazine or a publisher hates, is that when someone leaves that's quite useful to the product, you end up giving them just as much work, but you've got to pay for every word. <laughs> so I ended up doing more work for Autocar, having left. Yeah. So actually, I, I, was, I wasn't staff for that long, but I had a longer but relationship. you were around. I stayed yeah. for another five years, writing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, 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 I think you, people just knew you were part of the place. Mm. And the thing, the thing that's really interesting about you is that you're, the traditions that started with you, you know, that, that extra voice, that kind of sort of rebellious stuff, we still miss that. The, the uh, you know, I found myself droning onto the current editor, Mark Tishaw, the other day about how what we need is a, is a, a troublemaker. And you were a brilliant troublemaker. Uh, I mean, at times it works, times it doesn't. I think fundamentally, you know that being a troublemaker has worked when one of the people that you've caused a lot of trouble to comes up to you five years later, shakes your hand and says, it was about work, it wasn't a personal thing. Yeah, and once yeah. you've done that, yeah. I think you can then say that was fair enough and I've done that with everyone that I've ever wound up. So Ferrari at the moment, 
are good. I'm okay with them. Yeah, I was going to say, tell us about your relationship with both Ferrari and Lamborghini. Because they, really, they banned, really, both of them banned you, didn't they? Yeah, both Ferrari really weren't happy. I wrote something in Jalopnik that, that wound them up. But it was, but it was kind of on the money that it wasn't, it it wasn't irrational. No, and it wasn't un, untruthful actually. Yeah, and I think it's changed. I think it changed it, the way they operate. Since. Well, they'd never admit that because they're no. Ferrari, and it's not for me to. I don't. I, and actually, if you set out to make someone want to change, that's such a hubristic thing to do that is arrogant. I felt, that, but what I'm about to say is even more arrogant. I just felt it was an unspoken truth of our industry that everyone had, had kind of kept. It felt like they were lurking in plain sight. And all of us were just allowing Ferrari to have it away. They'd turn up with their test yeah. team and their laptops. Like, what are we doing here? But also, selfishly, I thought, I can make a name for myself here. Yeah. So the two things I did in my life to really go look at me, which I don't... I mean, they're a bit shameful. One was to buy a Lamborghini Gallardo when I was... 24 years old or something which is absolutely no, a bit older but was ridiculous you know I didn't have that sort of money I had a small legacy I think from an aunt and I thought well I'll put it into that <laughs> and I lost most of it on the depreciation but that was you know when Stop I the traffic mate that when is... I have a go at influencers you <laughs> yeah. could argue I was the prototypical influencer I was a massive peacock I went hey <laughs> look at me and yeah. I always remember realising that it had it had made a mark hmm. because when Robbo wrote the news story about the Gallardo well, no, they wrote the first drive. He wrote, and Chris Harris, our own whatever, is getting one. Brackets, no, I can't believe I'm writing that either. <laughs> so so I did that, but I also decided to have a go at Ferrari. But the, the, Ferrari, the Ferrari thing settled itself over time. But I will tell you that when I was summoned to a meeting in London three years later by a, a very senior Ferrari representative to go and sit down in a pub in Mayfair, uh, I won't say who it is, but Matt will know who I'm talking about. He was a communications man. And he just said, look, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm still getting a phone call a week about this article. It has, it's definitely not been helpful. We need to get you back in cars. We did this the wrong way. We should have, we should have actually opened our arms to you. We shouldn't have done what we did. And uh, I want it buried. And he said, what you need to know is for the, for the first six months, I ever wanted to sue you. We were going to sue you. And I thought, oh my God, because <laughs> you, you would lose you'd lose everything Lamborghini I don't have a relationship with them at all I'm not that interested in them as a brand I think they're a, I think it's a remarkable piece of um, I suppose magic that Lamborghini is considered to be a Ferrari rival it's just not I mean Ferrari exists on a totally different level the way that it's expertise the quality of its products the way that it's always uh, reviewing what it does and trying to trying to just perfect its trade whereas Lamborghini is just a just makes funny cars if you ask me the Urus is clever but it's a rebadged bloody Cayenne and uh, and the sports cars well the events it all lasted for 12 years or something didn't they I just don't I don't think they're in the same area and I, I drove that Huracan STO hmm. I think that's a great car I really really enjoyed that but I the Lamborghini I used to know and love when I first started this job isn't the company it is now yeah. uh, and that's not because you know people know I don't, I'm not a great fan of the CEO but, I, but I'm not I'm just not that interested in it so Losing a relationship only matters if you if you wanted it to continue, doesn't it? I, I, I'm yep. not that yeah, well yeah, well said. Yeah, Would you, if all the money in the world? What's the what's the most recent Lamborghini you would have had in a in a in a in a garage? Well, I think uh, I have to have a manual transmission. So, a Mercy six forty, mm. which is a car I drove around Europe with Barry Hayden, I think, and stuck into a uh, sort of one of those Barry narrow, Hayden photographer. Yeah, the, the narrow barrier things in Germany. Uh, uh, but but the one that I loved, and I suppose we all have this, our first love. You know, the car that you first had on your poster on the wall, or onto a poster on the wall, or you had uh, experience of when you were younger is a six liter Diablo. So that was the first Audi-fied Lamborghini, but it wasn't yeah. it it wasn't actually sold as the first Audi Lamborghini. That was the Murcielago, but it was a six liter one. I remember driving it at, at Rockingham for an autocar handling day, and it started to slide around. I'm thinking, Christ, I'm sliding it. Diablo that wasn't supposed to happen but it was just a great car so that's what I'd have right we're going to take a uh, quick advertising break here Laz but we will be right back Um, My Week in Cars will return with Chris Harris just after these there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome back to My Week in Cars with Matt Pryor, Steve Cropley and Chris Harris. This episode was recorded before Andrew Flintoff's recent accident while filming Top Gear and all of us at Autocar wish Freddie a speedy recovery. Tell us about your relationship with more modern cars. I mean, you've just arrived to do this in a BM. Um, but, you know, here we are standing on the edge of electrification. Yeah. Where are you with that? We, you know, what, do you care about them? Do you, do you react well to the it's performance good, that you good, can buy for nothing? It's and good ver- maybe you've hit the nail on the head. The verb care. I don't really care about them. But I know that professionally I have to take them seriously. I know that they're going to be part of mine and my children's future. So I want to understand them and I want to see where they are now. I want to try and scrutinise and past commentary on the way that people are beginning to interact with them and way that and, and the, the successes and the failures. I want to be a journalist about them. I'm a journalist, you know, I still like to think I'm a journalist. Uh, personally, I find there's very little to love about them. Do you, I mean, you're... I don't own one, to be clear. I don't own a full electric car. I have a Polestar 1, which I think is the best hybrid I've ever driven. Hmm. Uh, I think I think it was three, four years ahead of its time. I think now... You own that yourself? Do you? Yes, I own that. Oh, I didn't yeah, and I own that. Well, it's because of the unique way the BBC is funded. I can't have free cars anymore, Steve, so I have to buy them. <laughs> it's a great shame, you lucky bastards. It'll knock around <laughs> long term. Like, oh, yeah, tell but, me yeah, about we've this, got this though, company you... car yeah. tax. If anything's on, around for longer than 90 days... It's, is it? Uh, We're yeah, in trouble. Well, they got us early doors because of Hessel time. Do you remember that? But yeah. when when, yeah. Uh, when the Labour government came in, we suddenly all got these bills. Yeah. Because of Hessel. scary. Yeah. So, no, I own... I own the Polestar one. I don't have. A, I do have a full EV as of two weeks' time. I bought an Ami. I bought a little such an Ami. Oh, that'll be because that works so well in Clifton, where I live in Bristol, because uh, I can back it into the pavement. I've got yeah. one at the moment. I borrowed one. I just said I'm not giving it back until you. They'll get be one. pleased that you because the 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 sticking of it does. You know, everybody yeah. thinks they're a good idea, and it. But but <laughs> they they need it. to be adopted, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Tell me this though. It's a very specific set of circumstances it works in, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It doesn't if you've got if you've got five miles of forty mile an hour zone, you're already you're out of your comfort zone. Yeah. You've got a truck up your ass and you're going, I'm crapping myself. I lived four miles from Vista and it was it was terrifying. That four miles miles you couldn't have it. Sorry, you want to ask a question. Well, your relation you've got a really close relationship with Porsche. Yeah. I mean you just like the cars. You've they they seem to but they don't pay me like people think, you know. People always. Oh, of say, course not. No, 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 no. I, I'm, I know you long enough to know that you love the bloody things. But, oh yeah. But what, what, so, what's your relationship with the Taycan? I think it's, uh, I think it's an amazingly accomplished product. I really do, and I see why they sell so well. What I've always said about Porsche is this: I may not agree with some of the technologies they go into, but anything that I'm not quite sure about, I'd rather it was made by Porsche. You know, that's I've always said that. I bought a Porsche Cattle, of course I did. I've got Porsche sunglasses. I've probably got Porsche underpants because I just think whenever they do something, they do it better than everyone else. Yeah. So that that's my view on the Taycan. On EVs in general, I wouldn't want to drive one. They don't suit the way I live. They just don't. I do I, I do a mixture of crazy journeys, but like you, I still do a huge amount of mileage. Mm. Uh, and I I do a shameful amount of it sitting in the back of an S-Class driven by someone else, if I'm honest with you. So my the most important car in my life is the car that I sit in the back of. So I can't believe I'm admitting that to you guys, but I but I do. I, I find myself getting older, and if I have to arrive somewhere really late, two in the morning, and I've got to work at seven in the morning, then I, I cannot do it if I've just driven seven hours. I'm not as good. So the, actually, the BBC said to me a couple of years ago, you're going to have to be driven a bit. At which point, then I start thinking to myself, well, what do I want to sit in the back of? Everyone else has one of these V-classes. Horrendous things. It's just so uncomfortable. It's, just, it's, got, it's got an independent rear end on it, but it's got dampers made of putty. Horrible things. So, US class, whoa, what a thing that is. So, you must yeah. be the only person who says to the BBC, look, a veto's fine and everything, but we need to talk about the damping of these things. Yeah, yeah, I do. I'm not having it. And also, the first one I had had this bloody sports AMG kit on it, so you can get rid of that straight away. What's the point of having an S350 on AMG suspension? Yeah. We're not going to the nerve. What indeed, yeah. So, um, the EV thing, I digress. I've got, I don't have a, uh, an EV at the moment, because I, I think we all know the infrastructure's not there. 
I just the range is getting better but range in itself doesn't help if, if when you've used that range you've got to spend 40 minutes sorting it out or you can't find a charging station so really your, your options are limited so for me at the moment responsible motoring feels like I like starting my vehicle quietly I like leaving Bristol under electric power and once I get out of the town I feel less I don't feel guilty about having then an ICE take the strain and, and I think uh, you know if, if the phrase mild hybrid is one that came out years ago, I don't know what a non-mild hybrid is. Is it like a Vindaloo hybrid? I like, I've got a potent hybrid. Yeah. And it will do 75 to 80 miles on, on electric range only. And then I've got a little four-cylinder engine, which has still got a lot of power yeah. to get me out of there. It's such a popular vehicle that it is the only one they've sold in the UK. Is it really? Yes. When they delivered my Polestar 1 to me, which I, I maintain is one of the most beautiful cars ever made. Oh, it's yeah. just a stunning vehicle. And it is yeah, Matt's a close relationship with that. Didn't I love you? it. I think it's terrific. We we did a feature a couple of years ago, and I nominated it as the you know favourite car of the year because it's just great. It's just I mean, they're left hookers only, aren't they? I suppose, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is something, but, and they're expensive. But I don't know. I mean, just astonished by more. Well, but a bit like the BMW i8. I wish more people had one. Yeah, yeah. You know? it's it's a great. It's if people could open their minds a bit, it's a great solution to how you actually live with cars. Hmm. So when they delivered it to me, I said, "Can't be honest with me. How many?" And he went. You're our first customer. <laughs> Beyond self, two years. So it, you know you can buy a Bentley Continental GT instead, but I'm not interested. I have, the, the other thing about doing what we do for a living and, and being genuinely into the subject is you have no image problems. I don't care about image at all. You know, no. I don't. I don't need to drive a Bentley or a, to prove that, that I'm so true. Couldn't care. I'm, I'm, I'm no. interested in the next thing. And also, I think having had them for free for so long to use, I'm not scared about buying them now I, th- yeah. I go in, I know they're great and I buy express cars whenever I can and people always say why'd you buy a press car it's been thrashed have you seen the way they look after yeah, them yeah totally. my my prize out there a duster yeah my other prize an A110 in the garage yeah both express cars yeah pampered beautiful. they are and, uh, you know if there's any worries it's going to come with new half shafts new diff of course it is once, yeah. uh, once I've had it for a weekend they want to put a new diff in it <laughs> give us a few give us a bit of insight into Top Gear because the thing we we know from our job, Matt, don't we? Is that um, everything's done on the fly? You just um, you, you 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 think of an idea this week and do it next week. But it obviously not like that on Top Gear. And you've come from where we are to where you are, which is many a mile, I would say. Tell us about the preparation. Tell us about your life. What's it like? You know, what's it? What what happens before you get stuck into a into a series? As we well, there's a. It? There's obviously an ideas machine. Uh, Do you go and sit down somewhere in a dark yeah, room? Yeah, there's, 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 there's a lot of that goes on. I'm actually a bit more removed from that at the moment. I did it for a while. And so I do that, you know, I'm one of my phases now where I'm like, you have some ideas and I'll turn up and do them. I try, I do trust them. So most of the time I think they're so, really but there's, but there's a, there's a sort of body of people whose job there is, is there has to be. Yeah. There's, there's a, there's, there's not a separate, like Ferrari race team. There's not a separate team that stays there the whole time developing ideas, but there is an ideas machine. Uh, and I think people probably don't realise how difficult it is to take a specialist subject and present it to a general audience. Mm. That's the skill. So it's, it's all very well. I come from a background of autocar, but also I, was, I did a lot of YouTube work of where I could really do exactly what I wanted to do. I basically did autocar. I used autocar's semantics in the film world. That's what I did. On, on So I was very deep dive. It was geeky. It was just me, first person behind the wheel, talking crap. Remember it well. That's what I did. But you can't do that on Top Gear because if you did that, people would switch off pretty quickly. You know, Bearing in mind, we, we have a linger in a cabin of maybe eight ten seconds at a time that's it whereas yeah, yeah. I have four minutes it so, seems so indulgent but you are still the bloke who knows about cars yes absolutely everybody yeah. says that are you, are you happy it's not difficult that? to get to McGuinness is it Christ alive <laughs> uh, but, but, but I uh, but so, I mean so, it's, it's a good position to be in isn't it and oh it was, god yeah no, I, I, I'm 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 uh, I'm not always easy but I'm not stupid <laughs> you know, I, know, I know how to make my I know how to be a limpet in an organisation so that, that role has always fitted well for me and, and I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute but the idea of you've got a lot of people that have ideas and that you can't move quickly you, you, what, what they think of moving quickly is getting something done if, you know, three weeks away and then it being turned around four weeks after that that's, that's really fast moving so it, it is, it's glacial television compared to what you do and I find it very frustrating I don't like it it's slow moving at a very extreme level, you could spend an entire day with four cameras running and get four minutes of footage. It's not like filming a costume drama, which must be, that that would be my ultimate nightmare. The idea of everyone setting up and going, right, there we go. Everyone comes in, you know, Johnny Fuck Knuckles there and what have you. And you've got 
fuck that thoughts I don't want to yours <laughs> and you a canvas roll and for a day's filming you get 30 seconds of footage yeah. I just I just I just see waste all I see is waste and I hate it so we're not as bad as that but it is a big old beast you know you what the one thing I will say is I've got so many photographs on my telephone from some amazing trips where I've looked out over I've got the two star cars or three star cars and what's behind me is the Russian step or you know the Himalayas or something and you, and you look at the photos and you think oh my god I'm so privileged did I do that yeah. you do but then you think if I turn the camera the other way you'd see 30 land cruisers <laughs> and 50 smelly blokes wishing they were going home so it's a, it's a juggernaut it's a big big thing yeah yeah and it does take It's you're right it's full of inertia and, and it's slow and the ideas have to be kicked about and I think where I got it wrong at the beginning was I was so I was the car bloke I remained the car bloke so I'd be there going why can't we just do a car bit and they'd go if you talk about differentials, everyone's going to fall asleep. We'll lose them. So they come to meet me. I've come to meet them. I think we're in a reasonably comfortable place. But it's but you'll see that you need to have a general television brain. And Alan Claire that I work with, they get it. They you know they they are TV specialists, not car specialists. But there's still room, isn't there? I watched that Civic Type R piece you did the other day, and you were talking about you know it being 200 kilos lighter because it's front drive not four-wheel drive. And I thought, Christ, that is nice that on Sunday night, primetime telly, there is still a bit of space for somebody to go, this is what this car's like. And well, the way I negotiated that was, my, a lot of that isn't scripted, so I just say, look, I get my ad-lib bit. So I get three or four laps always where I just go off, skid the thing around, talk as I want to talk, and I say, please use some of it. Hmm. And, and oddly enough, most of that goes in because that's more fluent, it's not scripted. Um, it, it, and I, I think, like anything in life, I can't do that on, on its own. If I just only had Top Gear, it would kill me. Hence the reason I do, you know, collecting cars. I do a lot for that. And that's the old style films I used to make. Me and Neil go out. I talk too much. And I, that's that's what I want. If I didn't do that, I, I think TV would drive But I mean, that's nuts. gone really well, hasn't it? People love it. Yeah, collecting cars, you know, it's, 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 it's we're trying to flog motors. And, and I, I make no no secret of that. I'm, I'm an inveterate car classified addict. I always have been. And, and I think you might, you two might understand this. For me, car classifieds have always been my car editorial because it, very soon after I started doing this for a living, I wasn't interested in other people's opinion and I wasn't actually that interested in reading about cars because I did it myself. So I'd have my, I would read his stuff, I'd read Goodwin, I might read a bit of Evo, but I didn't really read, no, that's a lie, I'd read Steve and I've not mentioned Frankel, she's one of my best friends. Frankel, what a man. So I'd read, I'd read a lot of AF stuff. But outside of that, I wasn't interested. So if I went to the throne, uh, I would take car classifieds with me. I've always read car classifieds. When Pissonheads came along, the advert, you know, at late at night, if I was lying in bed, before I went to sleep, my search history would just be, you know, I'd be looking at G-series Carreras on, on Pissonheads. That's what I did. So when Edward said, right, we're going to do this, I said, it has to be a bit like an editorial destination. I've got to want to see the adverts. I've got to want to see the pictures. I've got the whole thing's got to be a destination I come to, even if I wasn't looking to buy the car, and uh, and I think we we've done a reasonable job of that. Part of that was doing videos and other stuff. Do you encounter things you want to buy? Oh, I've had I've made some horrific mistakes on collecting cars. You do. It's an open environment. My mom, the Integrale I bought was just perfect. I gave it so I've got a mate not far from here who looks after a few bits and bobs for me, and he put he put, <laughs> I got it back to him, Shippy, all right, Shippy, he um. He said, yeah, mate, I've, I've had it on the ramp. It doesn't look too bad. He goes, but I've just put the air tool just to blow a bit of dust off it. And it went straight through the boot floor, mate. <laughs> just blew the floor out of it. It was, it was rotten as a pear. Bought a Mondial. I bought a Mondial oh, convertible. Really? Yeah. And, uh, of course I, you did. I got in it and my foot went straight through the floor. Look, through the floor. Yeah. But I don't regret it. That's not, This is the thing. I'm not going to hide these stories from people. If you buy a, the cheapest Ferrari Mondial probably ever sold in the UK on an online auction what do you expect yeah. the journey yeah. is in doing it and I think this is the other thing about uh, buying cars and I think you're the same probably as me sometimes when I've bought it I realise it was the process of buying it it was the research it was I wanted to get involved in the process when the thing landed I went I don't want this I don't need this <laughs> but I loved becoming a geek I loved learning about Larder Nevers for a week. I became a student of the Neva. I investigated everything about the Neva. Then the Neva landed and I went, the Neva's shite. I didn't need that. But I've got one now. <laughs> How many cars have you got? Oh, I don't know. A couple of dozen? More. Really? Oh, really? Yeah. Where do you keep them? Sheds. <laughs> I've got uh, not very few of any real value. I've got, I've got probably four or five cars of any value. Um, 
maybe a couple more if you take I don't count cars I use as road cars as being part of that you know but they rack miles up no oh, I understand that M5CS has done not eight nine thousand miles already and it'll do 30 and then I'll lose my boots on it but I, I want to live like that that's what yeah. I want to use um, I've got I've still got a problem with French tap from the 80s really I just if I, if I see stuff I buy it because I always want the spare you, 205 yeah I've got probably five ten of them have you uh, no I've got I've got five that work another five still got the excess that you've had forever yeah I've got that excess that I used to use that's that, that the stub axle's gone on the rear on that that needs to go I've got a couple of rallies I've got one really nice rally and one a bit rough rally but they've shot up in value uh, which I don't like it when stuff shoots up in value then I go oh god the wankers are going to buy them now and that's what always disappoints me so AX's a couple of them uh, I've got a, couple, a few old Mercs now I just think that what I, Mercs? Uh, 124s 129s I've got a couple, oh, really? a couple of SLs um, I I can't stop buying them 123s I remember I remember Robbo and, and me relationship with a 123 we loved it it was a great car a tank also yeah. it was a car that you would go anywhere on the planet you'd go somewhere in the middle of nowhere and there'd always be a ratty 123 I was on the Moroccan Algerian border about three weeks ago from the top gear and there was a 123 with I'm pretty sure goat on the boot just going through the desert you just think that's a, that's a vehicle that's, a, that's had a life so yeah I've got lots of cars I, I I don't I'll never be I'll never have a resolved approach to any of this I'm a I'm a faddist so I go through fads I get into stuff and then I once I've accumulated it I go why did I buy that and then I then I do you have a clear out moment yeah I do and I and I and I always I've always got something that's troubling and wrong I'm always doing something wrong so I've got so for example I've got some finance on some cars at the moment which I find slightly stupid but I because they seduce you and even I get seduced by the dealers I have one of these or I think to myself I can't buy that that's just silly but if I did my pump it a drip I can have that I've got two 911 GT3 Tourings who needs that I have a massive I've openly said people that can't duplicate roles in their I hate the word collection, which is strange, given that we've got a business called Collecting Cars. Um, in my lineup of cars, I have two cars that not only do the same thing, but are basically oh, the same car. The same. And I don't understand. One of them has got, I've got an emotional attachment to and I can't sell it. And the newer one, I do a load of miles in. Why have I got two of them? It's just stupid. And at one point, I'll wake up in the next six months and go, why did I do that? I look like an idiot. What have you, what have you not got that you want badly? Is there some? Is there something a in leggy five right twelve TR? I never a, a leggy five twelve TR. I should have never. I sold that car about eight months ago because it was. I'd done so many miles in it, and I also have a point where when I've when I've lived my life with a car, I want it to go somewhere else. I'm a, it's a bit that sounds terribly altruistic, but it, it's meant it's meant me, meaningfully. I'd done. I'd had the car of my dreams for ten years. I've done 20,000 miles in it. I've been around Europe in it. My kids are growing up in it, and I just thought I don't use it so much now. It's probably got some engine bills coming. I don't know what it is, but but it, it's let's move on. Let's use the money to buy something else. And I didn't buy anything else with it with that money. I should have kept that car. Other than that, it changes every day of the week. You'll get this. The worst question you get asked in general interviews is, "What's your dream car?" Yeah. Like, oh Jesus. No. And I always say my answer is, it changes every day. And you're not a real car enthusiast unless it changes every day. And it can be something surprisingly. Um, Ordinary, kind yeah, of. Pretty oh, I bought. Yeah. You know, I, I see you got a book, got a book about the Renault Four there, and one of one of the worst moments in my working life was seeing a Renault Four roll down a hill in Nepal that I was going to buy on the way. We we took one to Nepal, and it genuinely the handbrake broke, and I watched it roll down a hill and crush itself. <laughs> and I wanted to bring it back here. I wanted a Renault Four. It's about, like finding a dog in foreign parts. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, I bought uh, so about two months ago. This is where Frankel comes in. Frankel's a bit of a disaster when it comes to this stuff. He encourages me to do too many stupid things. <laughs> so I bought a 2CV years ago, a Ripple You bonnet. foolishly lived close to him, didn't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, we still have that property, but uh, I, I'm not there the whole time. But I do, uh, I remember buying, I bought a Ripple Bonnet 2CV because I always wanted one. I think the early cars are much more appealing. I know 425 has lacked some speed, and I know you, you're, obviously you're the ultimate connoisseur because you had a. 602 that caught fire which is one of the great stories Escargo Flambe never forget that's a great <laughs> story um, I always remember the speedo needles sort of rash <laughs> yes. um, but I um, I bought this thing and I loved it and then Frankel bought one and then we would always spar about these cars right and he he had he had the uh, manifolds changed on his engine 
to a, th- to a three stud manifold and we worked out where this notebook actually came from we just made it up but his manifolds had three studs and mine had two mm. what he didn't realise is that my car had had an electronic ignition put on it because we went to film it in France and the BBC didn't want it breaking down the bloke that did it put this little ignition box on it so anyhow we he's come back with his new engine we come back from the pub not nearby and we had a race up a hill I can say race we were doing what 18 miles an hour <laughs> but, I, but I gapped him up the hill so he'd, he'd come back with his gun new engine and I gapped him up the hill and he was just livid he was like well if I, I thought he was going to go and wrap the manifolds around the head of the bloke that made the engine yeah Andrew in a temper isn't good no no he was like you know consternation anyhow we then had a race in, a, in my field he won the first round I won the second round but I got properly airborne in my car and put my head and he went through the roof I remember that bit but at the time I said to him right we need a 375 because for me that's the ultimate that's the ultimate road going vehicle you try finding one hen's teeth anyhow I decided I, uh, well we decided over several pints of beer that, that we were going to buy a 375 and the test of the 375 would it get from my house to his house he lives up a steep hill he was adamant that I couldn't even get to see him to visit him for a for a cup of tea in a 375 so that set me going so I had to find one so I have found a 375 I've bought it but it didn't have the right engine in it so I've bought a 52 ripple bonnet and it is a beautiful object it's falling apart it's a bit it's, it's patinated but the, the spine is good but I've got to find the engine I think I've found the engine now but I reckon I'll be I'll be 20 grand in by the time I'll, and I'll have a car <laughs> that cannot be driven reasonably on the road at a normal speed but but if you said to me at the time at the process of looking for the vehicle of locating it of reading about old 2CVs of looking at pictures of trying to work out how I'm going to drive it to Frankel's house and then you said to me you can have a 250 short wheelbase alley body comp I'd go I'll take 2CV please because that's because <laughs> I'm in a 2CV frame of mind I got, listen I get that is it going to make it up the hill? It's, I'm, I'm carrying a bit at the moment so I reckon if I slim down that could be the key part the other thing is they've got these bloody centrifugal clutches in them which is a bit of a nightmare for oh them. yes yes so, so uh, but I but you're quite right what, what's your dream car today I'm like F40 sometimes uh, 3 litre RS 1974 Porsche is probably my ultimate I would have thought that would be the one that, I, I most consistently have that as my wet dream car I would have thought I just think everyone goes on about the Ductile 73 car but actually they fixed it for the following year and made something so spectacular Peter Lovett made it because he's got one he let me drive his oh my god what a car um, but there's a lot around at the moment I really enjoy like the, that M5 CS is the most one of the most surprising cars I've driven doing this job because I thought not too big no so I'm snapping a bit but if, if um, because we do this uh, and have done this for so long uh, we, we really know our products don't we so if someone delivers to me a, that shape M5 and says this is what you know, this, this is a new version I go well I don't need to drive it I, I know what the M5 is about I know it's it's crazy powerful I'm not sure about the way it looks it's got very comfortable seats and the ride comfort's terrible and then I got in that and I thought well so this has got a CS badge on it it rides like an S class so they've just spent a load of money on the suspension and the way it drove totally blew my mind to the point where I, I stopped filming and I went I lied to the cameraman and said I've got to go and speak to my daughter and I phoned the dealer and went I need one of these <laughs> so that that's the first time I've done that so I do there are some modern cars I, I, I lust I lust for. I think if we talk about the electric future, which is inevitable, and I want to engage with it, I, I think you're noticing as well, every car maker is giving us their everything now. They give, they're just saying, well, it's the end of the road. We don't need to hold back any performance at all. Mm. You put those things on the rollers, that hasn't got 630 horsepower. It's well over 700 when you put it on the rollers. They don't give it monkeys. They're saying, well, why hold anything back? Let's give it everything now. And that's why, and I think that's why we we should enjoy this right now. Yeah, I agree with you. The cars are spectacular. It's a special year, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Yeah, and it's no surprise that you find the GR86, GR Yaris, the Lotus Amira, and everything have got a massive waiting list. Civic Type R, you know, they will just sell out because there's only so many they can sell, and it yeah. does feel. I think a lot of people will, you know, look at things and think, well, if not now, when? You know, and that's the, that's the yeah. Thing. I, I think, and I think it's a challenge for car makers is to get us as excited, people like us, as excited about. Oh, I agree. Well, I hear that Lexus has done the obvious thing, and I'm really surprised it's not happened before. And that's they're trying to make a manual transmission yeah. work with electric car. We we built an electric vehicle for Top Gear. We had a Triumph Spitfire that we put, I think, a Renault Zoe powertrain in or something. And uh, and I they said, do you want to have a gearbox in it? And I went, yeah. They went, why would you do that? So well, because it was bizarre. It wasn't torque limited, so I had the same. The final drive was locked. The gearbox didn't do anything. So I had a lever that I could play with that made no difference to the performance <laughs> at all. 
literally I could just go first, second, third, fourth. Mm. But if I if I left it in fourth, the car would do the same thing. <laughs> but I loved it because I had something to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it just about something to do. Yeah. Displacement activity is everything in a car, yeah. and I and therefore I think the manual transmission has to be it. And I think that I think the car company for our market, and we have to admit that our market is probably quite small. Pretty small, yeah. The first car company that could give us an EV that has got a level of interaction that means that the driver is doing stuff. It might be there's a new thing other than the gearbox. I don't know what it is. It might be that I mean, we've all played economy games. There could be there could be a situation where I would I would try and create a sort of a a range game where if you hit certain milestones in the car, you you get a reward, you know, something just to get get you involved. In the process, if you're involved in the process, you take pride. If you take pride, you're a better driver. It, it, for me, it's just so obvious. And the more that you remove the driver from the process, the worse everything gets. Yeah. The lazier car makers become, the worse drivers become, the roads become a nightmare. Yeah. You know, the, the, yeah. the, these are small issues that can end up easily becoming exponential. Because if you, the way we're going at the moment, the more that these vehicles just become devices, the roads will become really, really dangerous places. I think. They will. But, but, but a gearbox is central to it. Right. Yeah, that's a powerful point. Let's hope they do it. Morgan started off years ago, didn't they, with a with an electric car with a gearbox? Yeah. Mm. Anyway, listen, I know you're time limited, but there's something, one more thing I have to ask you about. Yeah. Racing career. Huh? I saw, I stood there and watched you at Goodwood um, in an absolutely epic race. I can't even remember what the bloody car was, but it was something potent. List and costing Coupe. That's that was it. We need more of this stuff, don't we? Well, I mean, D-types and all that, you know. I've raced some stuff now, I've got to laugh. <laughs> Look, I'm not a racing driver. I am, uh, you bloody well are. No, and I, and I'm a professional, they describe you on the show, mate. Oh, oh yeah, that's, uh, yeah, someone at the BBC got shouted out for that. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I'm not having that. I'm a journalist uh, who's done a bit of racing, and I, and I, I absolutely believe that. But that's, that's partly because it's, I believe it. It's also partly out of respect for people who are professional yeah, racing no drivers. You know, they are professional racing drivers, I'm not. Um, and I feel sometimes guilty that I've probably taken drives from people that, that needed them or deserved them because they're professionals. And I, already ha- I was already earning a good living doing what I do and having a good time. Uh, I've, I've, Autocar provided me with an opportunity to race cars. Uh, my, fa- my parents were adamant they'd never let me go go-karting or anything. They, that was, they would never pay really? for that. Yeah, because it was cost a load of money and they were normal Bristol types. And, and, and my father was into cricket and hockey and stuff, which I still am. So, but Autocar gave me the opportunity. And I, I did a Formula Palmer Audi race. Actually, I did an MX-5 race in Japan first. And I did a Formula Palmer Audi race and enjoyed it. And I suddenly thought, this could be good fun. But I was a bit like, and I'm sure you're the same, Matt. Because when I arrived at Autocar, Steve was racing Tuscans. And mm. there's lots of racing on Evo and other places. I had a bit of a, I had a bit of revulsion to it. Because I thought, I, don't, I didn't think your ability to test a car should be defined by how good a racing driver you were. That's an opinion that I've maintained throughout my life. I've, I've raced with and know lots of really, really good racing drivers now who are big names. I wouldn't let them sign off a milk float <laughs> because they're binary creatures. They see life in ones and noughts. They want a car that doesn't understeer. They want a car that is very stable at high speed. Almost all of that means nothing on the road. They don't understand that. A, a road car is a much more complicated vehicle. Uh, so I, it's not that I don't respect them as drivers. They're brilliant drivers. They're quicker than me, whatever. But I still wouldn't want them anywhere near a road car. And I, I had that at the beginning of my career. I didn't think you should be defined by how fast you were in a racing car. But then I got offered a few chances to race and really enjoyed it. <laughs> and then you suddenly think, well, I might do a bit more of this. And it, and, it, and, and actually the features people quite like reading. Um, I think the audience has enjoyed it. I mean, we all stood there watching you in that car. It was Epic! It was fantastic. People love it. it was, that was, and you, you, it was a kind of combative race, wasn't it? It was. Oh, it was full on. Yeah, it was good. And I, you know, I remember being going across the line, thinking, four abreast, I got a two fifty, a real two fifty GTO to my left. It's worth, even then, it's probably worth twenty five, thirty million pounds. And it had John Lacey in it, and we and we stuffed one up the inside of him into magic. I thought, well, I'll give it a go. And I <laughs> went up the inside of him. He had to get. He gave me like a paint, a paint layer of paint. We got through. And I thought, I need to gap the bastard. And in your head, you're thinking, right, I've got to gap John Lacey. But I thought, <laughs> actually, I've got a better car than him. I had a better car than him. And uh, we did gap him a bit. I remember coming back to the pits afterwards. We didn't win the race. We came second. Because Reedy spun it on the last whatever lap, which is fair enough, because it was wet. And I was disappointed. And then Neil came up to me and he went, he went, what? Well, Neil, videographer Neil Carey, mm. very Welsh. Still the best bloke I worked with. He went, 
He went, oh, mate, that was absolutely fantastic. He goes, you really stuffed with up Gina Lacey, didn't you? And I went, Gina Lacey is Johnny. He went, no, mate, it'll always be Gina. And <laughs> <laughs> so, so I've had lots of fun racing cars and I did a lot of blog. Can I get do some more? Uh, maybe I'm, at the moment I'm not that interested because I the the blog the GT3 thing is very competitive, and I think it's also um, a bit like a lot of modern motorsport. It's not defined by how fast you can go in the car. I'm all right in the car, but it's more defined by how few mistakes you make, which is very much what F1s have become as well. And I I'm not very good at that. I do make mistakes. I love racing older cars. Goodwood, I'm very, very fond of Goodwood. I mean, I think everyone's seduced by the events, but they're not the easiest bunch to, to knock along with sometimes. Uh, so maybe I'll maybe I'll go back there. I don't know. But I, I, I've got some stuff I've... Yeah, we're going to buy a car next year and do some racing in it. Um, and I've had a lot of fun in a Mark II Escort rally car I bought. So I did... This time last year, I did the, the big Roger Albert Clark, the RAC. That's one of the best things I've ever done in my motoring life. Proper five days... Thousand road miles, three hundred and eighty stage miles. We ended up sleeping in it one night when we got stuck in a hurricane. A, a, an amazing car adventure. I think that's what I've, I've just probably triggered myself there. I like having adventures in cars. Yeah. I've got a load of boxes to tick. I feel I've kind of done racing. I don't. I don't need to prove anything. I love racing cars, but they're bloody expensive if you do it yourself. They're really expensive. So really, you'll rely on other people's generosity, and I'm not always comfortable doing that. So, and it also it has to. It takes up time that you could be spending with your children as well. Yeah. And I've got, I've got, I've got, I've got almost grown up kids now, and I, I love knocking about with them. If you said to me now, would you rather go and race a D type at, you know, Dijon, or would, or would you rather go and watch one of your kids play rugby and then go and have a really good meal with them afterwards? I think you'd be disappointed by my answer. <laughs> I, I think I'd probably go and see my kids. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I can say that because I won my plane at Le Mans in a D type with Gary Pearson, which Absolutely. I'm very, I'm very proud of. So. Uh, yeah, it's been. But I, I suppose I'm just thankful for the opportunities. I love sitting with Frankel. I love sitting with Andrew. Two of us, two pints down, and going, "Wow, did we really do that?" Because <laughs> the the you know the I remember arriving soppy moment. I remember arriving for my first day at work experience at Autocar, and my mother, my late mother, had said, uh, "You know, make sure you're smart." And I said, "Well, what does that matter?" And I look like a tramp normally, so I turned up chinos in a bloody blazer. Can you imagine what I would? I'm a, <laughs> And I remember getting there early. I got to uh, the main, the main head to Turlington building, not the one on Waldegrave Road. The other one what was it? Was it Hampton Road? Yeah, Hampton Road. Quite a nice building actually for Haymarket. And uh, <laughs> and I got there early. Got to the bus stop. Got dropped off. And I was so early, seven thirty or seven fifteen or something. So I was two hours before the working day, wearing chinos and a blazer. I mean, I looked like a shoe bomber. And I was. Uh, I, I I remember thinking, what do I do? So I walked up and down the road, got myself a cup of coffee. And then this this seven series arrived. It was seven two eight i weird spec car. It was him in his long term coming to work, and he was earlier than everyone else. And I watched him get out of his car, go into the door, and I thought, shit, because I'd never seen him before. I'd read him for twenty years, and I thought, I'm this is where I want to be. Uh, and I ever since that moment, I didn't believe I'd do any of this. I'm still not quite sure. I'm not quite as bad as Fred, who I work with, who is not entirely sure when any of us is doing this at the moment but but I still I have to pinch myself I didn't think any of this would happen I, I, I've really really loved it all of it and I and I and I think I I'm not you know I'm not ready to jog off yet but I'm certainly I'm able to look back at all of all of those moments and just think you know the laugh out loud moments with Sutcliffe and Gilby and the the ridiculous moments when I had the office laptop and uh it didn't work. No, no. I had the office. There were two laptops in the office. He had one and we had the other on the road test desk. And his broke or he left it at home. And he said, Mike, Mike you get the, uh, get the laptop over here. Can I borrow that one? What he didn't realise is, is that someone had turned the screen into a very pornographic image. <laughs> and, I had to, and he's going, can I have it? And I'm going, uh, uh, and I'm saying, right. <laughs> I'm saying, Goodwin, get over there. Parry him for 20 minutes. I've got to go down to IT and get this off his laptop now. Because someone have put it on there. All these moments were just wonderful. And, and actually, this is why I'm very lucky. A lot of people in my position probably look back through their previous lives or careers and have access to grind and what have you. I, I have nothing but love for those. Those four years were just mag Only four years. Fantastic. I find that astonishing. Because yeah. it was such a... I mean, I was... You, I think you were not staff by the time I joined in 2005 when you were first yeah. ready. Yeah. But it felt to me like, yeah, you were a, you know, 
part of the film. But, but I had much longer. Yeah, but I suppose it carried on. I don't forget, I left to start something called Drivers Republic. I mean, yeah. Jesus Christ, I've done some stupid <laughs> things in my life. Had to give it a go, but that was all about ownership. And I, yeah. and I maintain this as well. I think the reason why, for many years, car magazines are so successful is that the, the, the very, very talented people that worked for them were too fearful of doing it on their own. Steve's someone who had a go, and look, you know, your, your story, you know, let's face it, you had to go on your own. Haymarket went, we don't want you doing that, thanks. So that's how you get, that's Failed. how you, Yeah. Yeah, but that's, you've got to have a go. I'm, I'm not afraid to have a go. I'm yeah. just not afraid but to have a go. But what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, etc. Yeah. But, but how many people, or how many super talented people do we know in this industry who haven't given it a go? And I, yeah. a, a bit of me feels sorry for them. A bit of me thinks you made the right call because it's tough. And, yeah. and when you're looking at the ceiling, wondering how you're going to pay the mortgage, if you're scared of that, then you shouldn't have started it in the first place. It's Drivers Republic, think about Drivers that. Public. Was it ahead of its time, Christopher? There was a bloke that worked in PR for a certain German car company that I didn't always see eye to eye with, who nailed it at the time. He said, um, "He said, is this not the Audi A2 of our <laughs> industry? And I went, oh my God, I think you've undone us from the start. He was right. Yeah, I think it was ahead of its time. It's actually quite a clever thing to say. Very clever. Because it was the Audi A2, it was it was ahead of its time, and people weren't going to appreciate it. But we should have spotted that. Well, for those who don't remember, <laughs> remind us what it. Uh, was. So, Drivers Public was an online car magazine with the community tapped onto the back of it, and uh, it was basically supposed to be Autocar Evo and everything to everyone, mm. but with a sort of Facebook thing because Facebook was was everything then, and the social medias were, although social network was the phrase, not social media, and the idea was that you'd have a community capture data you could flog that data but also you had you could then use that to to, to spend on, on really luxurious editorial so that we just do these page turning things that were 30 pages long totally indulgent in many ways it was it was a it was a good go we were undone by Lehman going under at end of 08 like everyone was and we went from having some income to having no income and it folded fairly quickly afterwards but it was I learned a lot and I think Richard Bean and Jethro Bobbington and Neil Carey was part of it who I still work with now so we still talk about it. The thing is, if it is the if it is or was the Audi A two of, of of its time, um, I mean the Audi A two is very fondly remembered, isn't it? Uh, yes, but also I think where the A the A two analogy falls down is that you know a much much bigger set of players had to go at the same thing five six years ago with Drive Tribe. I just know Drive Tribe still works, but the initial aim of Drive Tribe was much much more ambitious, mm. and it didn't work. So maybe that just shows that it doesn't work. Yeah. Ultimately, you can. I think you can offer people something they might buy into, like a, a forum or a piston heads. But if you try and manipulate the car audience too much, they do that quite quickly. I yeah. just gave a rude gesture um, <laughs> because they don't like being manipulated too much. They, they'll if you, even if you make a nice nest for them, they'll come in and they'll share. But if you go come here, we're the greatest thing ever. Yeah. Most people, you realise that most people in that community are very bright. The reason why they've got money to spend on cars is they've earned a few quid and they've done that by being wily. And if you try and push them around, they don't like it. That's my view of it. They're, they're, a, they're an audience to be respected. They're an audience also sometimes to absolutely despise because they say some very horrible things. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but you know, yeah. each their own. So from there, mate, and various other things, you mentioned you're a big cricket fan and now you work with, I don't know, one of my cricketing heroes all the time. Yeah. Are you still... <laughs> How do you how do you square that in your in your head? You've now worked I, think, with I don't think you do really. I think there comes a, you either have to accept the fact that you're in a very weird place and just ride it out. Uh, I remember doing the screen test with him and uh, just being just thinking this is this is bizarre, really bizarre. Hmm. Uh, but I had I'd had a reasonable uh, education in that area because Matt LeBlanc I'd worked with, of course, who is. Yeah. You know, he is more famous than God. Mm. And and he's a good friend of mine and remains a very good friend of mine. I, he seemed like a nice guy. He's a lovely bloke. And he's, he's a proper car bloke, You would he? love him. Proper car bloke, yeah. big motorcycle guy as well. Loves his mm. bikes. He's got, really, got loads of bikes. Yeah. And I, he's a really lovely man. Right-thinking man. He is, yeah. But he's, he's, he's great. And so I, I wasn't afraid of fame. So I wasn't, I wasn't going to be intimidated by these people. But but Fred, yeah, different. I mean, if you're like you, I love cricket. And he's just, he is... He was the last public figure to be huge in the UK because people forget that the 05 Ashes series was the last cricket series that was broadcast on terrestrial television. So the audience wasn't one million, it was eight million. Yeah. So Stop the country. Then. He's a lot more famous than, than, yeah. than a Ben Stokes or something like that because it was 
it was it was inside the national psyche. You know, he did take a wee in the in the garden at Number Ten Downing Street. So, um, but he's a great guy. He's he loves his cars, and he's 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 like any professional sportsman, very keen to learn. He wants to become a great driver. He's improved massively. Uh, he's enormous. He's very very strong, and I get on really well with him. And when I find myself taking the piss out of him, because I call him Lurch the whole time, because he does move like Lurch. He's not he's not six foot four. He's six foot six. He's such a liar. But he, he's got that big sort of that 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 long gait, and I just always call him Lurch. I think, do I have the right to call one of my heroes Lurch? Probably not. But to be to be fair to Pad, I'm a huge Phoenix Knights fan. I think it's one of the mm. best things ever committed to television. It's a it is a genius comedy, and he's instrumental in it. So uh, you know, I'm I'm in awe of both of them. And to come back to a point you made earlier, I'm the car guy. I'm very comfortable being in awe of people who have skills and talents and fame beyond anything I can imagine. Because I'm not interested in being famous at all. It is utterly fame and celebrity are useless. They're pointless, and they should never be encouraged. Um, <laughs> but I'm very comfortable in my in my own skin and in my own zone. I know that if you make me play cricket or be famous, I'm I'm not very good. I know that if I try and be funny like Paddy McGuinness, I'm not very good. But I know that if you sit me in a Ferrari two nine six GTB and put a camera on me and say, "Can you slide it around?" I'm up there. I'm not the best. I'm not, I'm not the best that's ever lived, but I know that I can do a job that other people, I think, will go, well, that's all right. Yeah. And that means that I'm comfortable. And as long as I'm comfortable doing what I do in my role, the rest of it, that's their problem. How do you cope with being spotted in a street? You know, you're there, you are in I grow Tesco. a beard and I wear a hat. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like, I don't, I don't like any of it, really. I can't I, imagine you being... Um, enjoying it I don't use it either you know I don't do I use it to get tables at restaurants to get free stuff no I don't use any of that at all so there's no there's no upside to me and I I don't resent it and I feel also that because I'm employed by the public purse I have a responsibility to always stop to always talk to always take the photograph and I always will there's bits of me that if you you know if you have a bad day or you've had an argument with someone or you feel bad about yourself it's quite nice if someone stops you and says I think this is really good um, sometimes they don't say that uh, do they say uh, that less? Because you would have had it for years, all the time you've been on YouTube. I mean, we, oh, the Steve key. and I get it a bit, you know, just at, I mean, at car events, people go, oh, I love what you do. But yeah, yeah. presumably, because you are on mainstream telly, it's you fierce. get the other side of it as well. Uh, you'd be surprised. Most people are quite quite fearful. The number of people that come up to me and say, I think Top Gear is crap is very, very, okay. very few. Yeah. Maybe that's because I'm an angry looking bastard and you want to come up to me and say that, then I might have a go back. But I mean, it's not crap. People enjoy it. Well, that well no, just, no that's, there, there was an era when it really was a problem, but that was all that was all online. So I, I took myself off Twitter because it was just getting too much. Mm-hmm. And, and the abuse in, in 16, the abuse was unlike anything I've ever experienced before. I'm not going to go, I've gone through that in another podcast, but that was a proper mental health issue. I'm pretty tough. But that was if you just if you wake up and it's not just five hundred people saying some stuff, it's a hundred thousand people saying this is terrible. You look at yourself in the mirror and go, "Can I get a job at Autocar again, please?" Because life seems so simple. You should have come around, mate. Well, no, well, I've, yeah, 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 I have bills to pay. Uh, but I, but I think, <laughs> but I think it's uh, I, I don't enjoy it, but but I it's fine, and I, you know, you, you choose your moments. You know, I walk my dog at night. I. Uh, I don't want to. I don't go to a supermarket in the middle of the day. I don't. It's weird. Your life changes a bit. You don't. I don't go. I go to the pub. I go to the same pub where I know they'll sit me around the corner, or what have you. Ask James May. You know James. Ask anyone. It's like it's. It does change your life, and you do look in the mirror and think, "How did I go from being, you know, chief ashtray assistant at Autocar to this?" It's just life, isn't it? I, 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 it's not. That's not a no woe is me or a violin story. It's just the way it changes. Some people love being famous. I've worked with them. And I don't resent it at all. I admire it because they embrace it as a positive upside to what they do. For me, it's it's meaningless. It really is. But I uh, I accept it's the way it is. One last question. What do you think the next car you will buy is? That's a good question. Well, it's probably easy. It's a Citroen Ami because I'm going to buy in the next two weeks. Oh, yeah, okay. uh, so, which is very dull, I know, but really works where I am. Although the one I had did derate somewhat with 10 miles on the oh it's it terrifying yeah oh, I was driving home going up a hill and it's it yeah, yeah yeah absolutely terrifying it yeah. bloody stopped so I, think I need to have a look at that because I yeah, what, that, hang on what happened well it just it just lost power it showed 10 miles range which is a quarter of the range the vehicle has mm. and it didn't like the hill it just went 
It's like driving an RC car as the battery starts to go. Exactly. They just go right down. Very good analogy. Right yeah. yeah. And, I, and I, so I, I was a bit worried. So I just need to make sure because there's Bristol's quite hilly. So I, mm. so I think I think the next car I buy will probably be one of two things. I'm either going to buy an R. I'm not very good with my uh, SLs. It'll be an R two thirty. Is it? Which is the and it'll be a facelift SL sixty three with the normally aspirated V8 in it, an 09 car. I had one new when I, when I was actually at the end of Drivers Republic. It was a great car, we just had one in the desert. I just think it's a really, really clever car. MCT gearbox, I know they, they don't age that well, but you've got a fresh gearbox and you've had the tensioners done for the timing chain. That is a really characterful, great car for the summer. I just think so much value, £25,000. Or, <coughs> bless you, or GT4 RS. Probably yeah. got. I think I've got one of them coming. Super. So I might, I might swap a touring for an oh, RS. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, those are weird. Other than that, you don't want to announce too much because you just stuff the market, don't you? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I always remember talking to Nick Mason about this. He said that he foolishly told the world that he wanted a six-cylinder thirties Alpha one time, and the and the bloody values weren't doubled. I don't think I have that influence, but I, but I, <laughs> but I, I, what I know is I will buy something. Like I can't not. That's that's the problem. It's out there, and there's so much interesting stuff. And I think the last point I want to make is I think we've 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 suffered an inflationary experience in the car market that's unnatural and unusual. And you really notice it in Top Gear because you can't go out and buy a fifteen hundred quid XJS and do stupid stuff with it. That car's now ten grand, so it's hurt us on the show. I think we're going to get back there now. I think I think the cars that there are some cars that deserve to be worth nothing. And they need to be nothing again. They shouldn't have a value that's that's not right. Yeah. And I, and I but when they're worth nothing, they become charming, and I want them. I don't want a ten grand XJS thing or a twenty grand XJS, two and a half grand V twelve with a bit of blue smoke coming out of the back of it. I'm there. <laughs> so so I think the time's coming when we get back to that again, and then I'll be a disaster. I'll need another shed. Super. On that note, Chris Harris of Top Gear and Collecting Cars, thank you for your time this morning. Formally off this parish. great pleasure to have you on. Thank you. Best of luck to the old girl. My Week in Cars will be back with me and Steve this time next week. Meantime, you can find autocar.co.uk. We have other podcasts too. We're over on the YouTube as well. And of course, don't forget, Autocar is available on digital subscription or in print as it has been every week since 1895. See you next time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.